All right, well, hey, good morning. Hey, good morning. You can get a little bit louder now. Can you hear me? All right, there we go. Uh, hey, I, uh, man, I just want to welcome you here. My name is Mark, executive pastor here at the Grove. And whether you are just getting started around here or whether you've been here for a while, I just want to say, man, it's, it's cool that you're in this house, that we're together this morning to, to sing these songs to Jesus and, uh, and to learn a little bit from his word. And uh, I'm glad to get to do that with you. And this passage, uh, we're going to look at 2 Timothy chapter 2 today, uh, second uh, week of our, our series in 2 Timothy. And this is just a really, really powerful passage. Uh, not that, you know, not that they're not all powerful, but this is just one that has a lot of significance to me personally. And so I'm going to ask you, I, I know what it's like. Uh, we've all got a lot of things going. We all bring a lot of things in here. Uh, man, the hustle and bustle to try to get here this morning. I mean, Charlie's throwing out gold stars just that you make it. Uh, so that, that's big. But I know a lot of times I'm, I'm sitting out there and I'm thinking through the things I've got to do the rest of the day or the things that I'm going to have to deal with this week. And I'm going to ask you, uh, just for this next 30 minutes or so, just to hit pause on all that uh, for a minute. And, and see if we can, we can look at this together, because I really do think that the Lord has something that he wants to say to us. And um, in this passage, you know, Charlie talked about this last week. I mean, Paul is, he knows his days are numbered. And he knows that this, this message and this gospel and this, this uh, thing that's been entrusted to him, that it is, it is really, really important that it, it doesn't get dropped, uh, that it gets passed to the next generation. He, he feels the weight of that. And so I've heard it called, I like to, to think about this, this uh, book and uh, specifically this passage today, is kind of the passing of the baton. You know, if you know or are familiar with track at all and, and relay races, I wasn't the track star, Terry was, but, uh, but I ran enough relay races and watched enough of them and have watched the Olympics enough, you know, to, to see what that looks like when, when somebody is trying to run full speed as fast as they possibly can, and then somebody else tries to take that baton from them. And all, I mean, the Olympics, they make it look really, really easy. When you watch people that are polished, you watch the Razorbacks run, man, it's just like, oh, that, was, that looks easy. It looks easy because they were really, really hard. Because if you've ever tried to do it, it's really, really hard for the person in front to get up to the speed of the person who's coming behind them, to be in cadence together where they can, at the same time, at the same hand, make that handoff. And there are, oh my goodness. There's so many things that could go wrong. And if that baton gets dropped, I mean, it's really hard. I've seen some videos of baton getting dropped and some incredible athlete picks it up and still wins the race, but it's really, really rare. I mean, that baton, if the baton gets dropped, it's really, really hard to recover from that. And so, I mean, you, you get this feel from, from Paul that, man, I've got the baton and I've been running really, really, really hard. It's been really hard, lots of hardships, a lot of things I've faced, uh, persecutions and trials and beatings, and, and now he, even now he, he writes this letter from prison, and things are hard, and I've been running really hard, and the pace is really, really fast, and here's Timothy, who I've spent good time with, who I believe in, and I want to pass this baton and make a smooth handoff, and I want to see that thing continue to go. And you, you feel it, you feel the tone of it, if you just read this as a letter, you get the tone of... Man, at these trembling heart and hands as he's trying to make this handoff. And he wants to make sure that Timothy gets it. This is really, really important. And it's really, really important that you don't drop this. And, uh, you know, he says um, that this, this baton, uh, which once again, if you're watching a relay race, the, the eyes should always be on the baton because 
The runners can run the race and cross the finish line first, but if they don't have the baton with them, they lose. The, the baton is the, is the central focus. The baton, in this case, is this, this gospel message, this good news that came to Paul on his, on his way to somebody else. It comes to Timothy on his way to somebody else. He describes it in verse, uh, right here at the beginning of verse 1 of chapter 1. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. The promise of life. That's the baton. He knows the, the promise. He knows where life is found. He's discovered real abundant life that we've been talking about, that we talked about all the way in the, in the upper room discourse course, building up to Easter, the, the thing that we celebrated on Easter when Jesus defeated death. We're talking about life. He, he knows the way to life. Um, and then in, uh, he describes it in chapter 1, verse 15, 16. He says, uh, or no, I'm sorry, verse 10. Jesus broke the power of death and illuminated, brought attention to the way of life and immortality through the good news. This good news that broke the power of death and then illuminated the way to life. It's in my hand, Timothy. It's passed to you. Man, don't drop the baton. And one of the reasons that he has some concerns is because the others, the others that have been around him, the others that would, could be would-be carriers of this baton, they, they, they haven't stayed the course. He says in verse 15, 16, <clears throat> excuse me. He says, as you know, everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me. <clears throat> everyone in the province of Asia. Which to me sounds a little bit like, uh, you know, we're doing marriage counseling. You know, couples, when they start to fight, they like to use the, the never and the always. You never shut the cabinet doors. You know, they shut the cabinet doors every once in a while. It's not always. But, but you know, you never put the things up. You always do this. <clears throat> we encourage people not to do that because it's just not true. Um, maybe it is true. Maybe every single person. But he definitely, regardless, definitely feels this way. He feels deserted. <clears throat> Everyone has deserted me. Even, and I'm not going to try to say these two guys' names. I'm just going to call them Phil and Herman. Even Phil and Herman. He calls out two guys specifically. How would you feel if you were Phil, or Phil and Herman? And forever <laughs> in the scriptures, here's, here's your name. You are the guys who, who let him down, who deserted him. Even these guys, which even these guys makes you feel like, man, maybe they were guys who really showed some promise, who he had put a lot of faith in and trusted. Even Phil and Herman. Even Phil and Herman. Everybody, even those two guys who you wouldn't have expected to. Man, they haven't shown themselves faithful. But then he calls out one in particular, and I'll say his name, one, one, one is uh, for us, uh, one is for us. He says, man, he and his family, man, may the Lord show them a special kindness because they visited, uh, visited me often and encouraged me. And they were never ashamed because uh, I was in chains. So this one, this one guy in particular, he says, man, he, he's, he's the example of what you do. He wasn't ashamed. Uh, he goes on to say that he made a lot of effort to come and visit him and to serve him. And that's very different than, <laughs> thanks, uh, that's very different than Phil and Herman who have dropped the ball. And so here's some examples. This is what Paul's feeling, man. I'm, I'm passing this thing and I'm experiencing that people drop the baton or that I get to the place of handoff and there's nobody there. Or they run a little ways and they're over the side throwing up in the trash can because they can't handle it. Because this, this race is tough, and I'm seeing it happening, <laughs> Timothy. 
And so, man, here comes the baton, and I'm, I, I'm handing it to you. But here's some things you need to know. And I think for us to really get our mind around this book, this passage, man, this whole thing that we're doing here this morning, we got to realize how precious that baton is. You know? Why, why Paul would feel that way. And I think it's difficult for us to really get our hearts and minds around it because we, we sit here in freedom. You, you heard the good news. Or you're hearing the good news this, this morning. And it's easy for us to take for granted that somebody shared that good news with us. And that that person, well, somebody was faithful to share that good news with them. And the person before them, somebody was faithful to share the good news with them. All the way back to this day. So we sit here, and Timothy evidently was faithful. And the next generation, faithful. And the next generation, faithful. And so we sit here and it's easy for us to kind of be ungrateful, <laughs> to kind of take it for granted that the baton has been passed to us, that all of the generations before us and our spiritual lineage, that people were faithful with this baton that had been handed to them. I think if we really get our minds and our hearts around that and then we realize we've got the baton in our hands, now we feel some of that responsibility. You know, it's interesting, Paul says in chapter one, he says that, that this thing, this good news was entrusted to him. And then he uses that same word. He says, it was entrusted, I entrusted it to you, Timothy. And then we're going to see today that he says that then now you take this and you entrust it to faithful men who will then entrust it to others also. So you, you get this feel of it being entrusted with something. Do you feel entrusted with this? You know, there's a lot of things like that, a lot of freedoms that I have that I think I, I take for granted. Um, you know, the easiest one to talk about is just the fact that we live in a, in a free country and the, and the men, the women who have laid down their lives to make that true. And in my world, my grandfather was a veteran and he didn't talk about it a whole lot growing up. And uh, I honestly didn't ask a lot of questions. Um, I, every once in a while, I would see something that he had brought back from the war and it would make me curious. Mainly, I just thought they were just kind of cool uh, things to look at. Um, but before he passed away, I got a chance to sit with him and and just ask him all those questions. And for whatever reason that day, he was, he was open to share. And there were a lot of things about it that I, I just had never realized. And I tried to put myself in his shoes. But the thing that I could really identify with the most was how bad he wanted to be back to be with his family. And how hard it was to be away from them. Because uh, what I do, I, I travel a lot. And it's really, really difficult for me to be so far removed from my kids and my wife but, I mean, I can, I can jump on my phone and pull up FaceTime and talk to him, right? I, I mean, I got command over my schedule, so if I really needed to come back in a hurry, I could, I could be back in 24 hours, you know? It's, I mean, I, I'm, I'm distant. Yeah, there's a lot of distance between us, but there's a lot of things that connect us. And it's, but still, even in that, man, waiting in an airport with a long layover, wanting desperately to get back to your family, it's, it's hard for me. The story my grandfather told, when he got the letter that said that he was going to get to go home, he, uh, he got so excited, and, and then his commanding officer brought him in the office and said, here's the thing, uh, you can go ahead and go, but if you'll stay around 10 days, two weeks, I'll bump you up a rank, which my granddad said was a huge deal. It was a huge thing for pay. It was a, a lot of things that would, would be really good about that. My, dad, my granddad laughed at him. I said, you're crazy, man. I ain't staying around two more weeks. I'm, I'm getting on that boat right now. I want to be home to see my family. Uh, he said he got on the boat, and I don't know if it was a punishment for that or if it was just kind of the way things went down, but 
uh, they gave him the job that nobody wanted on the ship coming back. It was the, the job of breaking up the fights. And my granddad wasn't a big dude, so he was like, man, I, I was really nervous about it, and they asked me to do this. And he said, but you know what, Mark? There weren't any fights on that, on that journey. Coming back from war, everybody was happy. <laughs> there weren't any fights. Everybody was just ready to be home. Oh, man. Then he said, uh, when they started getting close to the shore in, uh, in Seattle, it was a real foggy morning, and uh, he said that all the soldiers were up on the deck, just hanging over the side, looking, just trying to see if they could catch a glimpse of land. And they did. They saw like a, a buoy out uh, in the water, but it was, it was so foggy they couldn't make it out. And they got closer, and they saw something was written on it. And they kept on. Everybody was just straining to try to see it. And he said, then finally some guy said, it says, welcome home. And he said there wasn't a dry eye on that, on that deck. He said, Mark, when I got off the boat, I kissed the ground. He said, not because you're supposed to kiss the ground when you get off the boat, because I wanted to kiss the ground. <laughs> I had made it home. And it's really one of the first times that I kind of, man, what, what would that have felt like? You know? I think we just take so much for granted. And so, so this gospel that's been passed to us that we have We've got life. Death has been defeated. It's in our hands. Now what do we do with it? So, this is what Paul says, says to Timothy as he passes the baton. Chapter 2, verse 1. He says, you then, remember, he's just, he's just said, don't be a Phil or a Herman. <laughs> be like this once of us guy, man. He's, he's, he's the one that's faithful. You then, my child, also... He calls him multiple times in this book. He, he refers to him as, as my child, my son. I think that's really critical because critical he wasn't a biological son. No, this was a spiritual thing. This was a, this was a relationship. It also shows that to, to Paul, it wasn't like Timothy was some, some project, you know, some uh, checking off the boxes of his to-do list, you know, some, something like that. It, it wasn't that. No, this was... This was a relationship, a relationship so much so that it feels like a father and, and a son. He says, you then, my, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now, y'all, I've heard this passage taught a whole lot. I've heard chapter 2, verse 2, what we're about to look at, the, the X's and O's, the explanation of the strategy and, the, uh, you know, how you're going to go and, and do this thing, the thing he's asking Timothy to go do. But a lot of times we skip right over verse 1. He's going to ask him to do something. But before you can go and do this thing that I'm going to ask you to do and run with this baton well, <laughs> man, you better be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The power to do the thing that I'm asking you to do is not going to be something that comes from you. You're going to have to be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Just like we talked about a few weeks ago in John chapter 15, this is not something that you can do apart from the vine. A branch apart from the vine dies. And I've seen this happen. I've seen, I've seen people try to go and have an influence for Jesus out there without being really connected to him in here. And it doesn't go well. It ends really poorly. Because the power to be able to do the things that Paul is doing, the power to be able to see through these hardships and trials, 
It's going to come because you're strengthened in the grace that is Christ Jesus. This gospel is something that you're constantly marinating in, that you didn't deserve it, that you were given this grace, and that you exist significant to the God of all creation because of what Jesus has done. He loved you that much. Strengthened in that grace, then you're able to. Which makes me think about being on a plane and the way they always talk about put on your mask first and then help somebody else, which seems like it's just, man, like, especially if you've got a bunch of flights back to back and every single one they talk about putting on your mask first. And every time I know the one they're talking to is me because I would be the one that would not do that. My family were sitting there on the, on the plane and the mask dropped down and the plane's going down. I tell you, my first thing would be to put the, put, put the mask on them and try to help them. But it's just true. What good am I passed out on the floor? <laughs> I can't help anybody that way. And so a lot of times that's what happens. We try to help other people. We try to give, 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 give. And then we're depleted and we don't have anything and we pass out. That's the reason you see a lot of people who start out really strong in trying to to help and be a part of growing the kingdom. And then they end up on the sidelines, (laughs) throwing up in the trash can on the side of the track. Why? Because at some point they stopped being strengthened first by the grace that is in Christ Jesus themselves. So that then, from that power source, they're able to do. That overflowing power source that comes from a relationship, a vibrant relationship with Jesus. He does it through us. All right? So then, uh, if Timothy will do this, do that first. Then he says, and here's the, the methodology. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. All right, so what we can infer from that is that Timothy was, was with Paul and they were with other people and there were some things that Paul was teaching with other people and Timothy's there, which means that Timothy was with Paul going to other people so when you think about this idea of trying to help somebody grow, there's definitely the times that you're, you know, one person, another person sitting at a coffee shop or something, looking at the word together. But as you're doing life, as Paul is doing life, he's, he's pulling Timothy along. And Timothy knows good and well what this, what this set of things is, what, what, what the baton consists of. Because he's been around him long enough that he knows the things that Paul just keeps on talking about and keeps on sharing with people and how he, how he transfers those truths to somebody else and the questions that he asks. Paul, Timothy's been, been right by his side and he's got to watch him. And so now he says, man, the things you've heard from me in those settings, as I've been going, you've been with me. Man, take these things and entrust them. Again, uh, this was entrusted to Paul. He's entrusted to Timothy. And he's saying, Timothy, entrust He's not saying, Timothy, educate people about these things. There's a big difference between educating someone where they, they understand the principles. We're saying entrust. Entrust has some responsibility with it. Yeah, this, this, is, this is passed to you, and, and it means that there's some, some keeping of it, and there's some responsibility then to, to pass it on to others. Entrusted. And then he says, entrust it. Don't just... I'm just go and trust it to anybody, man. Uh, if, if you know somebody uh, is already about to fall off the track, man, don't give the, don't give the baton to that person. Man, give, give the baton to, to faithful people, faithful men, who you have some confidence in that they're going to carry it. So this is too urgent. This is too critical to waste time. 
Look for faithful men. And then he says, these, uh, these faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Um, this, this word teach, I want to be careful with because it definitely does not mean what I'm doing right now. Like only pass these things or it, it's talking about the, the orator that stands up in front of a, a bunch of people. We, Charlie and I talk about this often. This is the least effective forum to pass biblical truth. It just, it just is. Uh, I can talk. It's great. It's great. And it's great for us all to be together in corporate worship. That's incredible. Uh, but, but it can only go so far. For instance, last week, Charlie gave us a homework assignment. I won't make you raise your hand that you completed the homework assignment. My, my guess would be that the percentage is really, really low. Well, why is the percentage really, really low? Because when we're in a group like this, it's not that it's necessarily targeted at you specifically. So here's a homework assignment, and you know there's not going to be any accountability to that. <laughs> oh, that's good, but then you walk out and do it. What if you had had a one-to-one meeting with Charlie, and he had looked you in the eyes and said, hey, I really want you to study this passage, and next week let's get back together and talk about this passage and what you learned from it. I bet you would. I bet you would. The thing is, are these things passed in a transferable way where then you could do that same thing with the next person? You could take that same passage. You could say, hey, why don't you look at this and we'll sit together and talk about it. Both uh, not just teach from from this setting, but teach one-to-one to to teach in, in small group. And the things that have been passed are passed in a way. Paul has modeled them in a way that Timothy can then easily teach others also. And so he's enabled them. Uh, transferable truths. Uh, I, the best example I have of this, if I was just going to put a, a face and a name to it, is this dude named Tavares Uzigui. Uh, I think I've talked about him before in here. We call him T. Um, man, over 20 years ago, I was on a college campus, uh, and I was in a dorm, and I was talking to this basketball player about, about Jesus. And T walks in, already uh, a Christ follower, he sees me sharing the gospel with, with this basketball player. T is also the point guard on the basketball team, so he recognizes this guy. So he sits down by us, and he just listens. And, and when I finish, T says, can you teach me to do that? <laughs> First time ever uh, before or since that anybody has asked me that question. Can, can you teach me to do that? And I said, I believe I can. And so I did, and then I, I taught him. He, he started to see other guys that then believed in Jesus, and he wanted to help them grow more and other things, and so I taught him some other things. And I got to spend about a year with T, uh, just doing life together. And uh, he had guys that he was trying to help grow, and I had guys that I was trying to help grow, and we would be in both those circles. And uh, then, uh, actually, just before COVID, I, uh, I met with him in Little Rock and um, hadn't seen him in 20 years. And he walks in and he just starts telling me these stories. And y'all, he'd been down in Pine Bluff for all those years. And it's just story after story after story of all these different names and guys and things that God, God was doing. And, and, uh, and then right in the middle of it, he just kind of stopped and said, you know what I do, man? I, I, you, you know, that one year? I just do that one year. I've been doing that one year 20 times. Every year, I just, do this, I just do the same thing, man. I, I tell somebody about Jesus. They get excited about Jesus. They believe in Jesus. Then I start trying to help them figure out how to study the Bible, and then we pray together. Then we go share with somebody else. He's like, I've just been doing it for 20 years. And it's amazing. <laughs> now, T's in Atlanta, and uh, I was uh, watching some videos that he posted the other day. Man, that dude is just faithful 
The baton was passed to him, and then he just keeps on being faithful with it. And there's all these generations, spiritual generations out there because of T's faithfulness with what was passed to him. Not complicated, but, man, uh, the things that he had heard, he entrusted faithful men, gave him the ability to teach others also, and generation after generation after generation. And then it says in verse 3, Paul goes on to give three examples so that Timothy can get an idea what he's, what he's signing up for here. The example of a soldier, the example of an athlete, and the example of a farmer. He says, share in, good, uh, share in suffering is a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one that enlisted him. An athlete cannot, uh, is not crowned unless he complete, competes according to the rules. It's the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. So do you catch it? The, the soldier who has to stay focused on his, on his mission, the athlete who has to discipline himself around the, the rules, the, the hardworking farmer who has to keep his hands to the plow. For the greater good, all three of these examples... They're willing to sacrifice, they're willing to discipline, they're willing to make a priority to do the thing that they've been given. And it's, it's going to be hard, but they've chosen that this is what the priority is going to be. This is where my urgency, my focus is going to be, and I'm not going to get distracted. He's saying, man, this is the kind of guy you're going to have to be if you're going to carry this baton well. These are the kind of guys you're looking for. And these faithful men who will be able to teach others also. These are the Wanserfuses, uh, uh, not the, uh, the, the Phil's and the Hermans. This is what it looks like. You know, I was talking to somebody in our church the other day who's, uh, we've got several authors in the church, in case you didn't know this. Uh, I was talking to one of these authors the other day who just finished a book. And, uh, and I was just laughing because I have <laughs> forever uh, wanted to write a book. And uh, actually, when we lived in India, I, actually, I told people I was an author, I was a writer. I didn't say I was an author. I said I was a writer. And they would say, well, well what book have you written? Well, I hadn't actually written one yet. And I got about a chapter down. And I got lots of really good ideas. But that's about as far as it ever got. And uh, so I was asking this guy, man, how did you make it happen? Because he's got as much going on in his, his life as I've got going on in mine. And what he began to describe is exactly what we're talking about here. Well, you know, sometimes I got to shut things down really early and, and, and stay up really late, uh, you know, writing, writing the, the manuscript. Some, sometimes I have to say no to these things, and these are the things I have to say yes to, and I've had to, I've had to kind of orient my life around trying to do that, but, but I've figured out kind of a rhythm, and, and this is what, and so I made a priority of it, and I've, I've made the adjustments, and, and that's how I got it done, and now I'm kind of in that rhythm, and every six months I'm trying to, I'm trying to keep moving new books along. He had oriented his life about some, around something that he felt like was really important that he needed to do. That's what this is. If this is really important, this is going to be important to Timothy, then it's going to have to be a priority. He's going to have to orient his life around it if it's really that important. You know, I was thinking about this question of, uh, of all the things going on in our life, is it really that important? You know, the soldier who's fighting for this just cause who, who gives his attention and his focus to it, the athlete who's going to, to cross the finish line first and is willing to discipline himself, the hardworking farmer who gets, gets the crops. When we think about this, 
and we look at the end goal and the baton being in our hands in this glorious gospel that is <laughs> the, the, the power of death is broken and the way of life is possible, this good news. And um, it made me think about it one morning uh, this past week. I was uh, hanging out with my boy Jack, uh, the, one of our younger twins who's seven, who just makes me laugh. I'm sorry to tell so many stories about Jack, but Jack is just hilarious. Um, and I'd already been thinking and having some conversations with some other dads just about how, man, parenthood is, is tough. Being a kid's tough, man. But going from adolescence to uh, adulthood and all the things, it's just, it just is. It's tough. It's tough. I mean, I'm sitting there. I've got my coffee cup in my hand, and it's a, it's a coffee cup that has the, the name of a, a place that we had been in Thailand called Phuket. And um, I didn't know that evidently in, in a, his first grade class, they'd been learning how the PH uh, makes an F sound. And uh, nor did I know that he was reading my cup when he started to say in a really loud voice, the mother of all expletives. Over and over again. And I, and I, was, I thought, what, what, what are you, what? And then I realized, oh, he's reading my cup. And, and then I realized, you know what? Uh, he, in his innocence, as I say, he didn't have a clue what he's even saying. And I thought, man, how beautiful that, that innocence is. And I'm going to have to figure out how to be a dad to, to 7-year-old Jack and 10-year-old Jack and 14-year-old Jack and 18-year-old Jack and 20-year-old Jack, 25-year-old Jack. And he, man, what if he has... Yep, gets married and has kids, and how do I relate to him at that time? And man, how, this can be hard on him. That's gonna be hard on me. And and you know, <laughs> when when we decided to, you know, we we had a I guess a nine year old and a twelve year old, and we were gonna <laughs> have another baby. And we ended up with twins. You know, sometimes we look at each other like, oh my goodness, we're back at we're back in kindergarten again, and uh, we were done with kindergarten. We're, we're the oldest people at the at the party. Uh, but is it worth it? I mean, every parent, every, every parent knows that. Whatever sacrifice I have to make, whatever thing, you know, yes, of course, of course it's worth it. That's the reason it's so beautiful that, that Paul's talking here in this, this terminology of son and child. It's worth it. It's worth it because this is relational and this gospel and, and, and immortality and, and this incredible Jesus, is, is, it's worth it. It's worth it to be the soldier, to, to live life as a soldier, as a disciplined athlete, as a, as a hardworking farmer, carrying that baton faithfully so that the, it gets to the next generation and so that it gets to the next generation. And that 50 years from now, that somebody's still in this room because of your faithfulness, because of my faithfulness. He finishes out in a or at least today, I'm going I'm to stop in verse 9, verse 8 and 9. He says, Timothy, if you question in the, the, this hard road and that the person that's writing you the letter is writing from, from prison, and you know the hardships that are ahead of you, listen, just remember Christ Jesus. You want the example? Remember him who is risen from the dead. The offspring of David is preached in my gospel for which I am suffering, bound in chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. The word of God is not bound. It is unstoppable. This baton will move forward. It will get past. Um, but as far as I can tell, there's not a, there's not a plan B. 
God wants to use us. You know? It's not some, some other plan where some plane's going to fly, fly over the world and drop all these, these uh, uh, things you learn from me in the presence of many witnesses and tracks and everybody's just going to... No, it's, it's not that way. Jesus told his disciples to go make disciples. Uh, Acts 1.8, the, the power of the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Um, you, you guys... When it comes to you and it's entrusted to you, it's entrusted you, to you with the intention that, that you're going to carry it well and pass it on. And y'all, just real practically, that doesn't, that doesn't mean that you, that you got it all figured out or you, you know all that much, really. I mean, the, be- the beauty of this is if, if you know something about Jesus and there's somebody in your world who you have an inclination may not know that thing, then there you go. Hey, go, man. Look for the chance to have the conversation and, 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 and just introduce them to that truth, you know? And then something magical happens. I'm telling y'all, it's really, really, really powerful. When you start to take it and, and then give it to somebody else, man, it's like more comes to you and, and this growth thing happens. I'm telling you, it happened when I was, when I was about 20. I I had never, ever shared any of that with anybody, and I got challenged to do that. And the minute I did, then I started to grow. When I started to be faithful with Baton, I I started to grow. My relationship with Jesus started to get tighter. When I started to talk about this good news, I became reminded of what Jesus had done in my life at a deeper level. It's important, not just for the person you're helping, but for you. And it's important for us. Because there's somebody in this room, there's somebody at your workplace, there's somebody in your neighborhood, there's somebody in your friend circles who desperately needs this good news about Jesus. And you're the one that can do it. Will you be faithful? Let me pray. Father, I, uh, I do. I, I thank you that we get the privilege of being a part of this with you. And that you don't leave us alone. That you, you promise to strengthen us. And it's, it's your, your power. It, it's your message. <laughs> but Father, we get to be a part of it. And um, Father, I pray you would remind us uh, and make us thankful for all the faithfulness of the generations before us. Father, I pray that we'd feel the weight of what we've been entrusted with and the encouragement that by your power, we get to be a part. We get to be a part of passing that baton to the next generation. Father, would you? Would you, would you empower us to that? Would, would all of the obstacles that seem so big in front of us, would you just remove them? When those thoughts that come to our head that we say, well, that's great for somebody else, but not for me because of this, would you show us that that very thing, that very thing that we think is the reason, the obstacle, the reason why not, that's the thing you'll end up using in our lives. That's the thing. You'd love to show off your power and our weakness. Father, would you please just knock down all those barriers so that we can be the faithful people who pass this baton to the next generation for your glory. Amen.